0: Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Pastor Daryl Bentley, the Associate Ministerial Director and Evangelism Coordinator for the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Daryl.
1: Would you be so kind as to join me in prayer? Before we open the Word of God, I want to ask God's blessing. So pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we could bear witness to your goodness your special gift of life, that we could spend this time dedicating a child. Now, Father, we turn to you wanting instruction from your word. Father, you have placed a message upon my heart. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me. That you might forgive me where I have failed, that you might cleanse me of all unrighteousness. That you might anoint my lips with that coal from the altar. And Father, as I share with my brothers and sisters, Please, bless them. They don't need to hear from me today. They need to hear from you. They need that word, that meet in due season, as it comes from the throne of grace. So please, Father, bless us as you have so far in this service with our music, the story, the scripture, every part of this service, Father, that's been a blessing to us. Please continue to let your blessings flow. And I thank you for hearing this prayer. I offer it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things as a pastor I'm often called upon to do is funerals. And one of the hardest things that I have to do as a pastor are funerals. Most of us in life, we get to know people, we get to enjoy them, and when they pass away, we simply get to go and be a part of the service. But for pastors, as we invest our hearts in people, as we allow ourselves to become close to people, as we love you and you love us, your heart gets tied to people. And then sometimes you get called upon to have to funeralize your friends. Over the course of 13 years in ministry, I have officiated in or taken part in 65 funerals. And I have another one this coming Sunday. Precious, precious lady, one of our former members from the Mount Pleasant Church. Sweetest lady you could ever hope to meet. Victim of COVID. Again, COVID has taken someone, something special from our lives. There's a phenomena that happens at funerals. I can honestly say to you, I've only been to one funeral where I heard something bad said about somebody. Trust me, I had no idea it was coming. The guy stood up in the middle of the funeral. He was the first one to give a testimony. And he said, I grew up watching him beat my mom and molest my siblings. Good luck. And he sat back down. And I'm there leading the testimony time. And as he finished, I was... Thanks for that, buddy. But that's not usually what happens, is it? Usually what happens is... A stream of platitudes. All the good things, all the good memories, all the accomplishments, all of the wonderful things. And how sad is it that we wait until someone dies to say all that? Am I right? That's why I want to pick on my friend Richard Lane today a little bit. Maybe one of the last times I get to pick on you publicly. I'm leaving. But I'm going to tell you what. Dick Lane has taught me a lot about affirmation. I'm telling you, I'm not here to glorify any man. I want to glorify God. But, Brother Lane, I want to say thank you for teaching me what living affirmation looks like. I cannot tell you how many times Brother Lane has walked out of this sanctuary and lied to me, <laughs> telling me how good a sermon was or where it should be preached. He was always willing to affirm. Sometimes we get so busy, we don't take time to say to people just how much of a blessing they've been to us. We think, well, I'll say that one day. I'll send a card someday. I'll send that text someday. I'll write that letter someday. Saints, I want to encourage you. Let today be the day that you tell the people around you just how special they are in your life. Because you may not get that opportunity. Because after all, you show up at the funeral and memorial service and you tell all these wonderful things about them, how much benefit did they receive? You know that whole the dead know not anything kind of comes into play, right? And you're spouting those good things for people who already know it themselves. I don't want to get too morbid here. But what do you want to be said of you By those who would come to funeralize you. To memorialize you. By the time things are said and done at the funeral memorial service, they're just for the family that's been left behind. But what would people say of you? What special characteristic would they mention about you? I knew I could pick on Brother Lane because he's elder emeritus and he could take it. Brother Lane also knows I love it. But what good thing would you have said about you? What would you like to see highlighted from your life? Right, what accomplishment would you want remembered above all other things? Would it be about your family? Would it be about the impact that you had on your career field? Would it be about your children? Would it be about your God? What would you have people say? I've often thought that I would like to be the proverbial fly on the wall to see what would be said about me at a time like that. Perhaps maybe all of us have wondered such things or maybe I'm just a little weird. Thank you for not saying amen. (laughs) But let's suppose instead of losing a person, we lose an institution. Right? Institutions... Have characteristics, yes or no? Institutions have personalities. Those of you that have been a member of more than one church, were those churches where you held membership different from other churches? I can tell you, there's a whole process. I was aware of this process. I'm about to become a part of this process. But after a pastor leaves the church, conference officials will come in, they will meet with the elders. And they will basically say, what do you expect to see in your next pastor? And it's always fun to hear those things, because it'll be everything your previous guy wasn't. It's actually kind of a running joke that I share with new guys when they're going on their first interview. They say, so what kind of questions are they going to ask me? I said, they're going to ask you everything they didn't like about the previous guy, so pay attention. It happens. But then those expectations are brought back. The conference looks at those things and they say, okay, based on what this church leadership team has said they want in a pastor, we think this pastor has those skills and you try to match it up and have a beautiful marriage. I pray that will be the case. Each church has a personality. Each church has certain characteristics that make them unique. But if we were to funeralize, God forbid, Metro, what would be said of our church? What would be remembered? What would be lauded as accomplishments? What might be derided as shortcomings or failures? Here's an even better question. If our church were to die, would anybody but us notice? Is that a fair question, Roy? What would be missing from the world? What would be missing from our community if we went missing? What would the legacy, we might even be able to say, be of the Metro Church? I can tell you for certain that this church has had an impact on my life in such a way that I will never be the same. i have had the distinct honor of being a senior pastor here for the past six years and 43 days. It has felt a little surreal, just to be honest with you, to think that our time here is coming to an end. I came yesterday to clean out my office. That was hard. First off, I didn't realize how much junk I had in there. But secondly, as I had all that stuff stacked out in the hallway and I looked back in that office, my heart was flooded with memories of time spent praying for this church, planning for this church, working with leaders from this church, meeting with families, studying the word of God, wrestling through issues. You have grown me as an individual, as a believer in Christ, and you have grown me as a leader of God's church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If something happened to this church, I'll tell you I would take notice. My heart would be torn out. I would be broken. As I imagine those of you who have loved and worshipped in this church for so many years would feel the same way. How are we as the Metropolitan Seventh-day Adventist Church known in our community? Are we known? Here's another question. Could we be better known? Is there more yet that we still have to do? Yes or no? I don't know about you, but I'm looking around. I don't see Jesus yet. And until Jesus comes, we've got work to do. What do you say? And as sad as my heart is today, this is no time for tears. This is a time to look forward for a Jesus is coming to take us home. To plan, to prepare, to execute. I was talking to one of my children the other day. They asked me the question, Dad, how do you get things done? So it's very simple. I have a three-part strategy. This is God's truth. This is my three-part strategy. I plan, I prioritize, and I execute. I plan what I have to do. I prioritize what those things need to be as best as I can understand it, and God will lead me, and then I execute that plan, and then you deal with emergencies and things that get thrown in your path. And I told my child, I said, I promise you, if you will do those three things... You will have to be successful in life. You can't help but be. And I want to encourage you as our church family, continue to plan priorities, and execute to bring souls to Jesus Christ. Amen? So as these thoughts have wandered into my mind over this past week, I found myself thinking about Jesus' parable of the so called Good Samaritan. And what really led my mind there as as I thought about that parable was what Scott read for us, that last question in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, where the lawyer, Scott, asked the question, who is my neighbor? Let's go to Luke chapter 10, and let's see if we can answer that question today as it relates to you as a metropolitan Seventh-day Adventist church. Luke chapter what? Luke chapter 10, and we pick up in verse... 25. Got one of you with me? Anybody else there? You need mercy? Just say, have mercy. We'll wait on you. Here we are. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. And what does it say was this guy's motive? Depending on your translation, he was there. Because he wanted to follow the Savior and followed his feet in worship. No. Much as was the modus operandi of these rascals, they came there looking to trip Jesus up. They came looking to confuse Christ. They came trying to see if they could make him look badly. So this lawyer stood up, tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Friends, I hope that you learned this very valuable lesson from Jesus' way that he responded. Have you ever noticed that Jesus does not allow himself to get sucked into controversy? Thank you, Joe. He said he's a master of turning the question back on you. Right? I love what he says. Verse 26, Luke chapter 10. What's written in the law? What's your reading of it? I love that Jesus doesn't just jump right out and say, okay, it's this, this, and this. He wants to gain understanding, right? He wants to maintain control of the conversation so that someone does not get him backed into a corner foolishly. Well, listen, you're a lawyer. What do you think it says? Tell me where you are, right? Tell me where you are. Tell me what you see there. And the guy actually has a good answer, yes or no? You see his answer? Now, wait a minute. When you read this guy's answer, who does it sound like? I mean, my mind goes back to Matthew 22. Wasn't Jesus asked a question about what was the greatest commandment? What was Jesus' answer? It was this guy's answer. It was the lawyer's answer. Same answer. Quoting from two sources in Scripture, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Verse 27, let's read it. Look at it together. So he, the lawyer, answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he brings in Leviticus, your neighbor, as what? As yourself. And how many of us, if we just stopped talking, we would be okay? But the brother couldn't do it. Right, Jesus responds, verse 28 You've answered rightly, do this and you will live. The brother could have been quiet and he would have been okay. Here's another major lesson, saints. How many times if we would just be quiet, stop talking, listen? And I'll tell you, that's a hard lesson for somebody like me. If you don't think churches grow you, I want to tell you a major lesson that. One of my churches taught me was chairing a business meeting in a church that will remain unnamed to protect the names of the guilty. <laughs> we're having a business meeting, and we're talking about doing something for the church, and somebody says something that was the most ridiculous, and it was, it was just crazy. And I felt this obligation as the pastor in Mecca. I felt like everything that was said, I had to have some sort of response for. Even the craziest, especially the crazy stuff, right? Because if you let crazy live, you become a partner to crazy. But I found out something. One of the elders came to me. And I'm going to tell you, this guy loved me. He wanted me to be successful in ministry. And he said, Pastor, how did you think the business meeting went? The outcome, it was a good outcome. We got to the right place. The church was happy, except for those few people who had this particular weird idea that just didn't make sense to anybody. I told him, I said, well, I think the Lord blessed. I said, but I'm not sure where so-and-so was coming from. He said, that's really why I wanted to talk to you. Could I give you some counsel? Sure. He said, do you realize... That you don't have to respond to every comment that somebody makes. You remember the cartoons where the little light bulb would come on? That was a light bulb moment. And it just kind of washed over me. I was like, yeah, that's beautiful. So I tried it. Found myself in another business meeting. Somebody came up with something crazy. I didn't address it. I said, thank you for sharing, and I just kept moving. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful, because what I found out, and what this guy saw that I did not see at the time, but now I see, was that when you spend time dwelling on it, and you argue back and forth, even if it's done kindly, you're actually giving fuel to that idea. Because by debating them, you're now allowing people to hear more points have their argue? Whereas if you just say, thank you for sharing. You just keep moving, they're like, wait a minute, he didn't argue with me. This lawyer could have learned a few things. I wish my elder could talk to this guy. But he didn't keep his mouth closed. He didn't follow my friend's counsel. Notice verse 29 with me. We're still in Luke chapter 10. We're looking at verse 29. The guy basically had an affirmation from Jesus. He had said the right thing. It was perfect. Jesus didn't have to correct him. You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, now what was he wanting to do? According to scripture, what was his purpose in opening his mouth? Justify. What does justify mean? Basically, justify means to make right. So there was some sort of conscience, there was some sort of prick to his conscience that was happening. right? There was something that was bothering him. He knew that he was not living up to what he had just stated to inherit eternal life. All you got to do, love the Lord with everything that's in you, and by the way, love your neighbor. You'll notice, does he question how he's supposed to respond to God. Because of how he responds, where is the problem? It's with the neighbors. He, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then we go into what is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Look at the story with me. We're not going to hit every point, but there's a few things I want us to grab. First and foremost, read verse 30. If you look at verse 30, tell me where the man was from. He was from Jerusalem. Where was he headed? Jericho. Headed to Jericho. Now, we can surmise a few things. The man that was speaking to Jesus, was he of Jewish heritage, yes or no? Yeah, probably so. Jewish ethnicity, Jewish religiously. Okay, he was a lawyer. In other words, he was a leader in the church. He's one that we might even say was in the BRI. Are you guys familiar with the Biblical Research Institute? Right? It's it's guys that the General Conference has pulled together as what they see as some of the foremost scholars in Adventism to look at and study out issues, doctrinal theological issues. These lawyers were the type of people that could be BRI folks. Okay? People who really knew their stuff, so to speak. Okay? So we know based on the fact that Jesus is addressing this leader within an ethnic and religious Jewish setting, when he's talking about a man coming down from Jerusalem, and this guy's already said he has a problem with his neighbors, we can safely assume, yes or no, that the man leaving Jerusalem was probably also Jewish. Is that reasonable and in harmony with what we see in the text, yes or no? Okay. The guy gets robbed, he gets mugged, and what's the outcome of that interaction? The Bible describes him as being left in what state? Half dead. How many of you ever had your mother get so bad that she left you half dead? I remember my mom, Roy, telling me one time, she said, boy, I'm going to half kill you. (laughs) I could explain that to you on another level. Put it this way. I did not tempt her to that level again. This man was left half dead in the literal sense. And then who comes along? Verse 31, who comes along first? Would it be fair to the text to say basically the local pastor came along? We're trying to put it in a more modern vernacular, right? We don't function under the priestly system. So basically this guy's local pastor comes along. This is a Jewish believer living in Jerusalem, the holy city of God. He gets mugged, beaten, robbed, and left half dead. His pastor comes along, or at least a local pastor. And what was the pastor's reaction? I'm kind of busy. I'm just going to let that one ride. Who comes along next? What's a Levite. Levites from the tribe of who? Tribe of Levi, right? We get that one down pretty easily. Basically, a Levite was an assistant to the priest. Our modern context, who serves as the closest assistants to the pastor? So now Nick Conner comes along. Or at least Scott Verhelli. Or maybe Matt Simon. Or maybe Richard Lane, right? Go through a list of a few of our elders, brother Mecca. Basically, an elder comes along, an assistant to the priest, an assistant to the local pastor. And when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Huh. So far, two of the leaders from the local church have walked by this guy, and then, of course kind of the climax to the parable, the Samaritan comes along. What kind of relationship did Jews and Samaritans have? Would you go with the term mutual disgust? Would mutual hatred probably be a safe? Yeah. How much interaction were Jews and Samaritans typically supposed to have together? Let's hold your place there in Luke. Now go with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, please. Just so you can see it for yourselves. John chapter 4, and go with me to verse 9. We're told in verse 4 that he wanted to go through Samaria as he'd left Galilee. So he's headed south, or at least a southerly direction. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. And in verse 9, he finds himself at a well. There's a woman there that he asks for some water. Give me a drink, verse 7. Then verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then scripture goes on to tell you why she asked that question. For the Jews had how many dealings with Samaritans? None. None. So let's put these pieces together. Here you have a lawyer a member of the Jewish Biblical Research Institute, as it were, asking the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus uses as an example two people essentially just like the lawyer. A local priest, a Levite assistant to the priest, a local pastor, and a local church elder, if we want to throw it into a modern context. Both of those men walked by not only their church member, their brother in the faith, but they also walked by someone who was of their same ethnicity. Why did they walk by? Were they busy? Huh? Thank you, David. Do you remember last week we were looking at Romans 14 and I took you to Mark chapter 7? Do you remember what I told you about the religious leaders of Jesus' day? When they went to wash their hands, did they just wash their hands or were they weird about it? They were weird about it. Did they just wash hands? No, it says that Jesus said, you've got all the ceremonies. You go through washing of hands, washing of cups, washing of bowls, and even washing of couches. Do you remember that part? These guys were so wrapped up and I can't get near you because you will make me, as David pointed out, unclean. In other words, the people that they should have been serving first, they ignored the most. Shame on them. And then Jesus gives them a little further rebuke, or at least this lawyer. Now, somebody who has no obligation to this man, at least by virtue of societal structure, a Jew laying half dead on the road, a Samaritan walks by, he would at least have been the one to say, hey, at least that's some dog of a Jew that's been beat down. At least it wasn't one of my guys. But Jesus shows that this man was willing to take him, care for him, provide for him, paid for all of it, and bring him to healing. Back with me in Luke, please. Jesus finishes the parable with a question. Luke chapter 10, verse 36. Do you see it with me? So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Verse 37, what was the guy's response? Really, what was Jesus asking? Jesus was really asking, who acted neighborly? Because if the man answered the question, right, if Jesus said, who was actually the man's neighbor? In technical terms, the lawyer was the man's neighbor. The priest was the man's neighbor. The Levite was the man's neighbor, yes or no? I love that in Jesus' ministry, he does not let false boundaries dictate when we should do right or wrong. Jesus went to the lady of Samaria at the well against everything cultural, against everything that was established tradition. He went against the years of hate that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Why? Because he saw a soul in need of rescue. Some of you may be wondering, Pastor, what in the world... Does this message have anything to do with us? Let me see if I can pull the pieces together as it is in my mind. I started off asking you, if this church were to die as an institution, what would be said of us? What would people mention? And I want to share just a few things. I've mentioned a couple, but I want to share just a few more things that have been a blessing to me
0: as I have served at this church.
1: When I think of Metro, I
0: think of Metro as kind.
1: From the very first time that I preached here, and it wasn't when I was the pastor here. First time I preached here, I actually was pastor at the Troy Church. And I remember coming, we did a pulpit swap. Pastor Jim Howard was your pastor then. And I came here to Metro, and I'm going to tell you, you guys were super kind. You're very friendly, very welcoming, just very kind to me and my family. So we had a very good picture of Metro from the very get go. I want to say thank you today for being so kind. Going with kindness, I touched on it briefly, is being friendly. I've never felt like this church ignores people or seeks to exclude people. Thank you so much for being so friendly. Metro is talented. I can honestly say I've never served in a church with so much just raw talent. Yes, each of my churches have had talented people and I'm not trying to put them down. I'm just saying, Metro, you've heaped them up here somehow. You got a lot of talent here, a lot of spiritual gifts. You use them for God's glory. Thank you for sharing your talents and spiritual gifts with me. Metro's loving Each time there's been a need, this church family has gladly risen to the occasion to meet those needs. Last summer, early as we're going into the school year, I had agreed to teach the guitar class for the school, but we had a number of kids who could not afford a guitar. I made one appeal to this church family, and before sundown that day, we had raised $3,500 to buy guitars. I had somebody stop me before I could even get out of the sanctuary and handed me a check for $2,000. Some of you went and picked up guitars, delivered them to my office. Thank you for being so generous, so loving, not only as a church family, but putting your heart, your soul, and your finances into our school. Amen? Please continue to show that love to everyone who comes. Metro is faithful. Believe it or not, many churches struggle to advance the cause of Christ because they get wrapped up in heretical teaching. I want to praise God that I have not had to spend all of my time combating false teaching. Thank you for being faithful to the Adventist message. Thank you. Thank you for being faithful to the Word of God. Thank you for being a church that still believes in the spirit of prophecy. Metro is resourceful. Again, many churches do not have the resources with which we have been blessed here. And I want to encourage you, continue to prioritize money for spreading the gospel and advancing Adventist Christian education. Amen? There are churches that have been purchased in Cuba, established in Cuba, because of your faithfulness with your resources. Elder Lane, you could tell me all the places that you guys have done Maranatha trips over the years. I don't know all the places, but there are churches around the world because of the faithfulness of Metro members. Amen? So here's my question. Is our wonderful Metro church known to our community in these ways? I love so much what we have here. But here's my challenge to you as I leave you. Continue to be friendly. Continue to be loving. Continue to be kind. Continue to use your talents to the glory of God. Continue to marshal your resources for the spreading of the gospel. But I want to encourage you. Allow the Holy Spirit to get a hold of your heart in such a way that you and I can look each other in the face and we can answer the question, who is our neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I want us to take what we have been doing and I want to see you take it to the next level. I'm hoping that your next pastor comes in so strongly and has such wonderful spiritual gifts that my name is never mentioned. And some of you are looking at me like, you're crazy. Well, I probably am. But I'm serious. I don't want this church to be caught under the Bentley name or legacy. Listen, this church existed long before me and it'll exist long after me. Amen? This church is not about what one pastor can do. It's about what a family can do, a body can do when they're committed to the cause of Christ. And my question to you, my challenge to you is are you, will you remain committed to the cause of Christ? Who is your neighbor? Only you can answer that question. But it's my prayer that you will answer that question in such a way that you will think about evangelism that you will think about charity, that you will think about Adventist education, and that you will expand your footprint in this community so that if this church died, the community would be in mourning. What do you say? Let us pray together. Dear Father God, as we mark a day of transition, Lord, I thank you for the love that we share Thank you for the special memories that we enjoy. But Lord, I also do not want to see us be like this lawyer. We have all the right answers, but we're not living it. And Father, I have been blessed to see this church live their answers, to live their faith. But Lord, there's a danger. There's a danger of contentedness. And Lord, there's a danger of complacency. Father, I pray that we would look at the successes that you've brought us through and not be content to pause and say, hallelujah, thank you, God, praise your name. But to then say, Lord, what would you have us do now? How would you have us move forward? And Lord, I pause just now to pray for the new pastor that will be coming to this church. I don't know who that is. Conference at this point does not know who that is. But Lord, you know who it is. And you know what this church needs. You know my deficiencies. And you know what this church needs to go to the next level. So Father, I pray for that pastor and his family. As they come to Metro, may they find the same love, kindness, resourcefulness, talents, gifts, All of those things, Lord, may they be able to work together as pastor and church family in such a way that we are ushered into that newness of life as Jesus comes to bring us home. Strengthen this church, Father. We've got those that are sick. I'm thinking of Brother Jim. I know he would love to be restored to health. We've got those that we've laid to rest and we're about to lay to rest. Strengthen this family, Father. Put your hedge of protection around them spiritually, theologically. Please do not let any foolishness or heresy slip in. Let not creeping compromise take over. Keep us faithful. And Lord, I don't just pray for Metro. I pray for me. Leaving the field, there's a danger of me becoming disconnected. Out of touch with the work. Father, may that not be the case. Use me to be a blessing in my new role. Lord, I will always look back with fondness and with a watchful eye to my precious family here. And I pray for their success, but especially for the souls that will be brought into your kingdom as a result of them loving their neighbors. I thank you for hearing our prayer today. I ask this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. You have been listening to Pastor Darrell Bentley, the Associate Ministerial Director and Evangelism Coordinator for the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit a Seventh-day Adventist church this coming Sabbath? The congregation will enjoy sharing their worship service with you. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.